TheYeshiva.net. So we're in the middle of the Maimer, Zacher, Purim, Zacher Asashasalachamalak, of Purim Tovshin Yud Zayin, Purim 1957. We already had a few Shiurim on it, three Shiurim on it, and now we continue. So the first class we did the first two chapters, then the second class we did the third chapter, and then last class, which was Monday morning, we did the fourth chapter. What was the summation of what we learned? And I literally say summation very, very briefly. Anybody wants to say it? Exactly. So that so often we define ourselves as being in a situation and reacting to that which is happening around us. In truth, even though there's a certain truth to that, obviously, but really, we always have to go much deeper and ask what is happening inside of us. Because the way I respond internally often defines the reality that I'm reacting to. This is not something that we intuitively uh, necessarily know or learn about. We often say, you know, if this happens, react this way. If somebody says this, react this way. What we're learning here is that the biggest work has to do with noticing what's being aroused in me, what's, what's being triggered in me. Because my own blockages will completely affect how I am affected and how I affect your blockages. Or in the words of the Maimer, somebody who's still holding on, they're holding on to stuff and they cannot let go of those stuff. So their reaction to those stuff in other people is going to be extremely, extremely dramatic and intensified and defined by those blockages. Only when I am a conduit, only when I let go, only when I am really, really in a position of inner wholeness and empowerment can I then become a conduit to be able to identify the sparks, the goodness in the other. Specifically, we learned that this is the meaning of the fact that only in a state of Adalayada can the Jew say, blessed is Haman, not in a state of Yada, as we explained in earlier classes in the name of the Ariza. And the idea was that there's different states of consciousness. There's a state of consciousness called Yada, which means Avoida, based on Das, my service, my, create, my relationship to life and to God is based on the tool of my intellect, In other words, it's a type of life where I need to wrap my brain around things. I need to understand. I need to control to a certain degree. And even though it's very important, the Rebbe says, this is called there's still a lot of growth. And when I am in that space, then I have to be extremely careful the way I deal with Haman and with what Haman represents. Because if I say blessed is Haman, I may not be extracting the spark, but to the contrary, I may be lured into the shell, the husk. Only in the state of Adalayada, which he calls Bittel Bibitsiyas, which means that I can open myself up to infinity and therefore my own infinity. And as we always explain what Bittel is, that I become part of the larger light, like when you have an halacha bittel, let's say a drop of milk falls into a chalant, and there's a ratio of 60 to 1 from the fleshik, from the deli to the milchik. So we say that the drop of milk doesn't affect the deli, the fleshik, because it's nullified, it's bittel. So the rush explains that the milk is transformed into a fleshic dish. It's not just it doesn't affect it, it's dissolved, it becomes part of it. Actually, your dish just grew. <laughs> These drops of milk now 
become part of the flesh dish. So when you say bittel, bittel doesn't just mean self-nullification. Bittel is bittel to the divine infinity, which means I become part of that infinity. I become a conduit for infinity. So my service of God is not limited to my brain, to my braininess. I don't know if I made up a word. To my tools, to my own limited tools. But I open myself up to my own infinity. And then he says, you can go to places where the spark is so hidden and is so, so buried. And you could say, blessed is Haman, which means what? I want to take out that spark. And of course, when Haman loses a spark, he can't exist. Because even the worst forms of negativity and toxicity are fueled by some spark of holiness, even if they completely distort it, manipulate it, exploit it, and the spark is completely exiled. And he says, that's why when I am in the state of Das, which is connected to the Eitzah Das, Adam Arishan can't live forever afterwards. Why? Because what can live forever is eternity, thank you, goodness, divinity. But once Adam Arishan now accesses in an internalized fashion, fragmentation and brokenness, ultimately that causes death. So he says, in such a situation, I have to be careful and I have to have very clear boundaries because if I go to a place of negativity, not only will I not triumph and extract a spark, on the contrary, I may be defeated and I may fall prey to the husks, to the shells, to the blockages. And that's why we say, Sur Meirah, Arur Haman, Haman is cursed and Mardachai is blessed. When a person, Purim represents the ability of a person to go to a space of layad. I don't know. I don't know. What does it mean I don't know? It's not I don't know that's coming from ignorance, from naivete, because I'm illiterate, because I'm uneducated. No, this is the most enlightened form of ignorance. There's ignorance that I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I have to learn. I'm not interested. I'm illiterate. I don't want to know. But then there is the not knowing that comes from the deepest type of relationship. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a testimony of strength, of empowerment. I don't know. I don't have to know. Not because I don't want to know. Not because I'm afraid to know. Not because I'm embarrassed with my brain. Not because I believe in indoctrination. Not because I believe in blindness. Not because I believe in, in, in ignorance. But because I know whatever there is to know, I want to know. But then I have a connection. I become aware of the reality that I can't wrap my brain around. That yada is a much more mature, it's a much deeper relationship with life than yada. Because yada means I have to reduce it to the limitations of my tools. yada means I don't have to reduce it. This is called bitl b'metzias. My very entity, my very identity can become a conduit. My whole metzias, including my mind and my heart, becomes bottle. What does it mean it becomes bottle? It becomes a conduit for infinity. This is called Tzadik Gomer versus Tzadik Sheine Gomer. And he can bring light into the spark even when it is embedded in the deepest clipper and always distinguish between the two and not get caught up in blockages. And then the light doesn't go to the clipper. The light goes to the nitzots and it gets redeemed and then the clipper can fall away. You wanted Chazaris? I just gave you a very brief summation of last week's class, of last not last week, last class, and it's if you have time, it's Kedai to review it and the other classes because this is very, very fundamental and very powerful ideas in life and in Chassidus. Seif Hey, Chapter 5, in the source sheet, it's the bottom of page 156. Yeah. You can ask, you can ask. Okay. Um, this is um, something we're talking about a particular short period of time on Purim where we reach this level, but really, probably the Rebbe's going to speak about it later in the Mimer, but um, something that we want to try to reach all year to a certain extent. Right. Yeah, Purim, of course, when we speak, when we speak about the Avaid of Adelayada on Purim, it's that Purim empowers us. You remember we learned a few weeks ago on Purim Katan about the concept of Toiv Leiv Mishta Tamid. How Purim becomes the source, it's like the 
the the um, the central nervous system in the brain that governs the entire body, but then it has to be communicated through the body in a visceral in a visceral way. So Purim is the source of simcha for the whole year. So the same concept, the Adelayada of Purim is a source of empowerment for the entire year. We'll, we'll discuss that, we'll discuss that later. When a person is in this state, and 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 it's important to say, I'm not always in this state. <laughs> it's it's a state that a person. We're, we're all vulnerable. We're all we have different moments. We fluctuate. You know, it's not like Purim comes. Okay, Adulayada. It's not. You know, I press a button. Boom. This is not just a a robotic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a robotic formula. It's like boom. Okay, Purim is here. Adulayada. You're talking about internal. This is internal avoda. It's internal avoda to be able to notice my own klipa, to be able to notice in practical English what's happening to me. And as I gave the example, you're talking to your child, or you're talking to your student, or you're talking to your mother, or you're talking to your brother, your sister, your father, your friend, your spouse. You're talking to yourself. <laughs> For those of us who talk to ourselves once in a while, to be able to notice the triggers, to be able to ask and be curious and inquisitive, what just happened here? What just happened here, here, here? What happened when you, when he, when she said this, when he or she did this? What just happened to me? Why am I freaking out internally? I'm a nice guy, so nobody knows. But why did I just implode? Why did I explode? Why am I running? Why am I aggressive? Why am I losing the plot? Why am I so anxious? That Those are hard questions to ask and even harder to answer. I'll say, of course I'm anxious because you, 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 you. Whoa. <laughs> it's easy to say you, 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 but when I point a finger at you, I'm pointing three fingers at myself. Of course I'm anxious. If you weren't here, I wasn't anxious. That's a very, very superficial way of living because if another person would have walked into the room, I wouldn't have had that anxiety. So there's something inside of me that I'm being taught that I have the ability to work through. And that's an incredibly enlightening idea. You know, that I'm not reacting to the world around me. The world around me is reacting to me. (laughs) I say that I'm reacting to the world around me. I'm reacting to you. I'm responding to you. I'm not. (laughs) I'm responding to me. You you are bringing something out. Yes, you're bringing something out inside of me that I never worked through. So this is really the very powerful difference on a constant basis to be able to be aware of this type of relationship and this type of authenticity, this type of authenticity changes everything. Because when we could connect on this level, when we can have conversations about the triggers, then what happens is our weakest link becomes our strongest form of connection. So this is called the Dargis HaAvoide, this level of Avoide, of, of the Tzadig Amor. Harigam Kasher. What this means is that in this state of Avaida, which we called a Tzadig Gomer, and what does he mean by Tzadig Gomer? I already explained in previous classes from Tanya chapter 10 that I'm not holding on to any Begadim Tzayim. Begadim Tzayim means literally filthy clothes. I'm not holding on to husks and cover-ups and shells. I release them completely. I'm not holding on to anything. Like, wow, can you? Can I let go? Not hold on to it. And when I release it, when I let go of it, so the klipa in me doesn't have a hold on me. Now, I could connect to you in a different way. And this type of Jew, even when the Russia, the Haman, is in his full strength, or Pari is in his full strength, and Moshe is afraid to go. You remember we learned about Moshe being afraid to go and Hashem had to say, boy, come with me, come with me, we're going. You're not going on your own, you're coming with me. Even before the Russia reached the maximum where his energy is boom, where the balloon is punctured, 
It's called Kaidim Shinismalas Ase before he reached his full measure, where after that he will vomit. He will vomit up his own vomit because he reaches a point in evil where it just takes too much and then it can't survive anymore. It's just boom, it's finished. But even before that, the tzaddik is not afraid because there's no tfisas mukim. The Russia doesn't occupy space in his consciousness. And that's the key. You're not triggering me in a way that I get consumed by your clipper because I already dealt with my clipper. Or at least I'm dealing with it. At least I'm, I'm aware of it. I told you last time, I think, it was two times that a mayor could learn Torah from everybody. The Gemara says, why? Even Acher? Because he knew how to discard shells. <laughs> he knew how to take out the inside of the fruit and, 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 and remove the clipper. So the tzaddik is in this place, and therefore, even when the Russian is in his, is in his full might, before his vulnerability, he doesn't have to be afraid. Now, we're going to come back to the fascinating and enigmatic medrash with which we began the Mimer. Do you remember? The Mimer began with an incredible medrash that apparently is very difficult to comprehend. Let me, let me remind you. The medrash says, in Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, chapter 44, that when the Jews heard from Moshe, remember what Amalek did, and you will blot him out. What did the Jews say? There's a verse that says, remember what Amalek did. There's a verse that says, remember Shabbos. How can they coexist? So Moshe said, you can't compare a cup of wine, delicious, fragrant, beautiful wine, to a cup of vinegar. They're both cups, but one is vinegar and one is wine. So there's remembering Shabbos, which is the wine. You remember Shabbos to preserve it and protect it and sanctify it. And remember Amalek to blot him out, to fight him, to obliterate him, to penalize him. The Rebbe said, I don't understand. What's the question? What's the answer? Why can they both exist together? You remember Shabbos and you remember Amalek. There's a lot of things we remember in life. And what's Moshe's answer? You should just tell them you could remember two things. What's, what's his answer? Shabbos, you're remembering in a positive way. Amalek, you remember it in a negative way. Okay, that's obvious. It seems like he's saying something unique in his answer. And what's this idea of the metaphor with two cups of wine? Like, what is this all about? After the long introduction about Adelayada and blessed is Mardachai and cursed is Haman. But on Purim, the Jew says, blessed is Haman because of the Nitzots. Now we'll understand the Medrash. Haman came from Amalek. This is the meaning of the fact that the Jews told Moshe. One, one verse, one Pasuk in the Torah says, remember what Amalek did to you, that's Parshas Kisetze, we're going to read it to Shabbos. Another verse in Parshas Yisra in the Ten Commandments says, remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it. How can they both coexist? And the Rebbe said, what's the problem? In our brain, our brains are very, very powerful. We can remember two things. <laughs> Maybe some of us men can't remember more than one thing at a time, but at some point we can all remember two things. You can't remember what Amalek did and you can't remember the day of Shabbos. What's the big deal? He says, no, their question was much deeper. What they were saying is, Ki in the Shabbos lavaya. If a Jew is really experiencing Shabbos, then how can a Malik exist in his life? Ah, the only way a Malik can exist in my life is if I'm not really experiencing Shabbos. If a Jew remembers Shabbos, what is Shabbos? Shabbos is called Shabbos Lashem. It's a Shabbos that is the day in which the divine oneness permeates my psyche, permeates my ambience, permeates my home. Shabbos is a day that transcends the parameters of a limited world, and that's why Shabbos, we say, God seizes creation. What does it mean he seizes creation? Shabbos, we go from a space of yada to a space of adalayada. Shabbos, I go to a space, apparently, from a space where there's still separateness to a place of bitl b'metzius where there's absolutely no separateness. Amalek doesn't occupy space there. <laughs> when I go out of my own blockages, 
I don't, I'm not defined by any other blockages. So now to say, remember what Amalek did. Remember what Amalek did means Amalek plays a role in my brain. Let's talk about Amalek here internally. There's Amalek as a nation, and then there's the internal Amalek. The internal Amalek, I could only remember and destroy and be busy with it if it exists. If something doesn't occupy space, I don't have to be busy remembering it. So the, that's what the Jewish people are asking. When a Jew is in a real state of Shabbos, Zohar is saying my Shabbos, doesn't just mean remember Shabbos intellectually. Remember there's a concept of Shabbos, remember the concept of Amalek. If Shabbos is filling me up viscerally, in other words, if I'm living Shabbos, if I'm breathing Shabbos, what's Shabbos? Shabbos is a state of absolute serenity, absolute tranquility, absolute oneness. In Shabbos, there's no private domain and public domain. That's why the laws of Shabbos begin with not carrying out from a private domain to a public domain, because Shabbos is about the fact that there is absolutely complete oneness. Shabbos Lashem, or in other words, Shabbos is the experience of being in a place where I am not in any box, where I am not in any bubble, where I am a complete conduit for Shabbos Lashem. Lavaya, where does Amalek come to occupy space? That's their question. If there's a real Shabbos, there's no Zachas Eshoslach HaMalek. Zachas means Amalek lives. Amalek challenges me. Amalek gets me. Amalek triggers me. Amalek <laughs> triggers me. Your clipper triggers my clip. And the only way your clipper can trigger my clip is if my clip is there. <laughs> if my blockages are there, you're going to trigger it. But Shabbos, I let go. That's what Shabbos is. Kol Malach Dechasuya, you let go. So what's Moshe's answer? Moshe's answer is, you're remembering Shabbos to sanctify it, and you're remembering Amalek to penalize it. And he gives this whole example with the two cups of wine and vinegar. The Rebbe is going to explain the explanation is, the explanation is, the, the commandment to remember Shabbos includes the commandment to bring delight to Shabbos. It's a mitzvah to celebrate Shabbos and enjoy Shabbos. It's called Oynik Shabbos. And as the Allah says, we eat good foods and we drink wonderful beverages. We clean our home. We set up the table. We put on beautiful clothes and attire. And we eat and we drink and we sing and we celebrate. This is called Oynek Shabbos. There's a mitzvah to be ma'aneges ha-Shabbos. La'on goydaik. The koi al-darganayl is yosef betaynuk shayn b'yayma Shabbos mitzadat smele shen m'shechus u'ba'al te'pulazit shilichisosh u'amaneges ha-Shabbos. This means, even though Shabbos itself is a day of pleasure, there is something that the Jew adds to the pleasure of Shabbos. The pleasure of Shabbos on its own may lack it, and the Jew brings in a new pleasure to Shabbos. It's called Hama'aneges HaShabbos. You are Ma'aneg Shabbos, as the Gemara says in Shabbos, tractate Shabbos, Kofiut Ches. Even though this is a very profound idea because you're actually adding something to Shabbos. Shabbos is a holy day whether you like it or not, whether you're ready or not. But then there's what you bring into Shabbos. Shabbos has two dimensions. There's Shabbos and there's my Shabbos, right? Shabbos comes whether I'm ready, I'm not ready, whether it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it's 8 o'clock in the evening, I'm busy, I'm not busy, I'm having a hard day. Shabbos comes, boom, Shabbos is here. That's the beauty of Shabbos, right? Everything stops. The cholent is not ready, the food is not ready, I'm not ready, I still have so many things to do, Shabbos is here, boom. And you always know when Shabbos, when Shabbos comes in at 8 o'clock, people are not ready for it, and when Shabbos comes in at 4 o'clock, people are not ready for it. The rule is that you're not ready for Shabbos, it always catches you by surprise. There's a few exceptions, people who are ready Wednesday for Shabbos. There was a Jew once said that he never went to work, so they said, why don't you go to work? So he said in Yiddish, a Jew on Sunday thinks on Monday, what should I do on Tuesday? On Wednesday, he starts reflecting about Thursday and he says, okay, tomorrow is already out of Shabbos. Let's just call it a week and already prepare for Shabbos, right? 
It's a great way of living. Rebbe you like it, huh? That's the way to live. The Ramban says that in Hebrew, there's no days for the week. There's no Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We call it Hayom Yom Rishon B'Shabbos, Hayom Yom Sheni B'Shabbos, Hayom Yom Shlishi B'Shabbos. There was a Jew who used to have late Shalashudasin. And once the Shalashudas went till after midnight of Mitzray Shabbos, so the people in the shul said, Rebbe, it's already so, so late. He said, it's still too early to welcome in the next Shabbos. So there's two elements of Shabbos. There's the holiness and the beauty of Shabbos on its own. And then there is what I bring into Shabbos, my consciousness, what I bring into the home physically and what I bring in emotionally to the home. So this is a tremendous thing that a person can actually experience the Tainug of Shabbos and add to it and how bringing something in that Shabbos itself doesn't have, and you're bringing it in through physical things. Good food, good drinks, the physical, visceral instruments. It's explained in Chesedus. The difference between Shabbos and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is called Shabbos Shabbosim, the ultimate Shabbos. Yom Kippur, I don't eat and I don't drink. Shabbos, there's a mitzvah to eat and drink and enjoy the meal. So Chesedus explains that Chazal say that La'asid Lavai, in the future, it's a time of Eim Bayachil Ursiyah. It's a time that transcends, the Gemara says in Brachas, page 17, that Olam Haba is a time when there's no eating, there's no drinking, the tzaddikim sit with their crowns on their heads and they bask in the radiance of the Shechina. So Chesidus says that's the difference between Yom Kippur and Shabbos. Yom Kippur represents already the ultimate ecstasy where I don't need anything external to bring me the pleasure like food and drinks because it's a much deeper state of pleasure. And that's why Yom Kippur is something that's even deeper than Shabbos. Yom Kippur is a foretaste of that time of Tchiyas HaMesim, Elam Haba, when we say there's no food and drink. But in Shabbos itself, you have different states. In Shabbos itself, there's a difference between the first two meals and the third meal. It says in Halacha that the first two meals you have to wash. The third meal you also have to wash. But there's opinions that Sudash Lishis you could fulfill through eating Mizoinus. There are even those who say you could fulfill it through eating fruits. There are those who say that you could just taste something. You taste a little food. It could be a piece of meat. It could be a piece of Mizoinus. It could be a fruit. It could be a vegetable. And you already fulfill it. Not only that, in Zoyar it says, in Zoyar it says that you could fulfill the mitzvah of the third meal through learning Torah. In Shulchan Aruch, we say that you have to eat, and it's always good to wash. But there's different customs about how we fulfill the third meal. But in Zoyer, it says, Rajbi, there was, he said that he fulfills the third meal through learning Torah. What's the reason for this difference between the first two meals and the third meal? The difference is, the Gemara learns out the three meals from the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu speaks about eating of the man on Shabbos, and he says three times, today... You will eat the man that came down yesterday. Today you will eat the man that came down yesterday. And the third time is Hayoim Loisoichlu. Today you won't eat the new man because there won't be any new man. You'll eat yesterday's man. So the master, spiritual masters say the third time, he brings it in footnote 35, the, the language is Hayoim Loi. Today not. <laughs> Today not. So the type of pleasure of Su'udah Shlishis is a much more fine pleasure. It's not dependent so much on food and drinks. Depends where every person is. Some people have a full-fledged meal, Shalashudas. Some people have a little meal. And Rajbi said, I could just learn Torah and it's enough. Amnam And that's because the time of Mincha, Shabbos, Shabbos afternoon, is a very, very fine time. The pleasure then is even deeper than the pleasure of Friday night and Shabbos morning. Generally, you can't compare the ecstasy of Shabbos to the ecstasy of Yom Kippur and La'asid Lavei, the future of Tchiyas HaMesim, 
And the difference is Tainug HaPashat or Tainug HaMorkov. Briefly, Tainug HaMorkov means pleasure that uses other stimuli in order to enhance it. When You see, there's two types of eating. There's eating in a way where I'm become a victim of the food. That's not pleasure. That's binging. That's addiction. That's where I lose myself. But then there is actually using food or art or music or drinking or company or an ambiance. And that brings pleasure. And that's amazing. And that's called Tainug HaMorkov. It's a Tainug. Morkov means it's composite. It's made up. It's compartmentalized because it's made up from different things that stimulate it. Then there's Tainug HaPashat. Tainug HaPashat means the pleasure of oneness, the pleasure which I do not need any stimulation from outside, even a wonderful stimulation, because the person simply dissolves in a very positive way in the infinite oneness, and that ecstasy just flows through me. So there's Tainug HaPashat and there's Tainug HaMurkov. Tainug HaMurkov is pleasures that are compartmentalized. They use different props in order to enhance the pleasure. And we do that. And that's what Shabbos is. You create a different atmosphere in the home. Buy good desserts. Cook up a beautiful meal. Sit. Enjoy. Eat. Connect. Sing. Celebrate. Good Jews. Get into an argument. That's all Tainug HaMurkov. Tainug HaPashat, that's Yom Kippur. Especially by Ne'ilah. There's a pleasure. But it's not a pleasure that needs food. It's not a pleasure that needs anything. And that's the ultimate pleasure of La'asid Lavai. Wow. The Kivon Shashchidah, the Yom HaShabbos, he lishmer l'kadosh HaShabbos. Aideizer shama angim oise ba'oineg achilur siyayinu zochel lo'oineg, tainug hamurkav bilvad. V'adayin einze shleimus ha'tainug l'osid lova, hini bedarga zuyash tvises makam lamitziyiz da molek. V'lachain tzorech liyiz zochel es asher osa l'cha molek zochel lo'oineg. So Moshe says, Hevra, I know you celebrate Shabbos, but let's remember. How do you celebrate Shabbos? Zohar Lishmer Lakadish. You protect Shabbos. You sanctify Shabbos. In other words, you bring in pleasure to Shabbos through food, through drinks, through external stimulations, instruments that God created in the world that can enhance the pleasure of Shabbos. This is called Tainug Hamurkav. It's a pleasure, it's an ecstasy that is still compartmentalized. It's not the ultimate pleasure of La'asid Lave, of post-Mashiach, of the time of Tchis HaMesim, of the time of resurrection. In that space of pleasure, a Amalek still exists. There is still space for Amalek. And that's why even the Zachir Esayim HaShabbos does not exclude the Zachir Esayim HaShabbos. And this is a very, very, very deep idea Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them. That you always, in simple English again, do not think that when you reach a place of pleasure, you're not triggered. You are triggered. Why? Because my tainug is still compartmentalized. I'm still in a space where there is, where there is brokenness. I'm still in a space where I'm not completely one. That's what Tainug HaMurkav is. My pleasure is, the word Murkav in Hebrew means Mashu Shemurkav. It's like a composite of different elements. For example, the body is Murkav, is made up from different limbs, different organs, different cells, right? The, you build Lego or you make a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. It's one puzzle, but it's made up of pieces, Tainug HaMurkov is pleasure that's made up of different pieces. So yes, I exercise and I take a hike and I enjoy nature. These are all wonderful ways of enjoying God's world. I listen to music, I dance to the music, I enjoy company, I develop friendships. That's what Shabbos is. You bring in the Tainug of Shabbos and it can be very physical things because it's a visceral experience. Remember, there's people who just eat Shabbos, and you'll forgive me, it's a form of a fres, right? That's not tainug, that's, <laughs> that's more addiction. <laughs> you, have, you have to know the difference between tainug and distractions. You know the difference? They're not the same. There's a difference between fun and happiness. <laughs> when they go on a roller coaster, it's a very thrilling experience. 
I'm not going to say that that's the cause of my happiness in life. Unless maybe if I stay on the roller coaster. <laughs> so you're constantly getting a thrill. Thrills are good. Thrills are good. Distractions are also sometimes good. But that's not what Tainug is. Tainug is something that triggers your own inner state of delight. Not something that distracts you from your pain. You guys get the difference? There are things that distract me from my pain. They fill my void by taking me away from what's happening inside of me. That's not Tainug. Tainug means things that actually trigger my own inner sense of delight. But there's a difference between Tainug HaMurkov and Tainug HaPashat. And that's the difference between Shabbos and Yom Kippur. It's the difference between Shabbos and Mashiach, post-Mashiach, Lasset Lava. So Moshe says, when you're still in a state of Tainug HaMurkov, Zohar is Yom HaShabbos, Lishmer HaLekadosh. You have to preserve Shabbos. You need to sanctify Shabbos. You're bringing in something to Shabbos from the outside. That's called Tainug HaMurkov. And that's what helps make the Shabbos. In this space, a Malik, a Malik will still trigger me. And that's why there's still room for Zachar, Esash What does this mean? So Moshe understands how abstract this is. So he gives a metaphor. What's the metaphor? The metaphor is the two cups. And here, I remember when I heard this the first time, or I read it the first time, and I heard how the Rebbe explains the two cups, the cup of vinegar and the cup of fragrant wine, there was an element of ecstasy that overtook me to be able to see the depth, the depth in how you see Moshe Rabbeinu's words, the existential depth, the spiritual depth, the, the emotional and psychological depth, if I may say, I, I think it touched a piece of my Tainug HaPashat, not just my Tainug HaMurkov. That's what Chassidus does. There's a lot of beautiful things in the world, but it's all Tainug Murkov. Tainug HaPashat means when you tune into the place of ecstasy where there's complete oneness. I don't need any stimulation from outside, nothing. Now, I can't, I can't simulate this and I can't make believe it's this way, Right? But, but it's an openness to this type of level of oneness. And only in that place of tainug do I go beyond my blockages. And only then can I really be there for you. Only then will the amalek inside of me or inside of you not overtake me at all. Then I'm free of amalek. Then I'm really free of amalek. Again, I'm not talking now only the amalek, the big guy, you know, the big haman. That too, that too. But as always, we talk about things in the macro and in the micro, <laughs> right? Macro means the big picture and also the small picture. So he says, It's a very strange response. Moshe says, don't compare the two cups. It's two cups. This is filled with vinegar and this is filled with kunditun. Kunditun in Talmudic language is considered wine that was fermented, but fermented skillfully, and it's considered the choicest type of wine. It was also wine that they would ferment together with a little honey. So the wine had, the wine was concocted, the wine was was created in a very, very special way that it became the antithesis of the vinegar. So he says, you have two cups. You have two cups. <laughs> One cup has vinegar, and one cup has the most fragrant wine. Moshe says, it's still two cups. And the question is, yes. What's the big chiddush here? Moshe is saying, remember Amalek, remember Shabbos. You could remember both. It's two cups, but they're both cups. They're not a contradiction. This is this cup, that cup. Yeah, what, what's his point? When Torah brings a metaphor... It's because the metaphor, the allegory, will explain and enlighten something that I couldn't understand without it. Only with this metaphor can they receive an answer to their question, how both can coexist. If there's Shabbos, how can there be Amalek? If there's Shabbos, how can there be Amalek? Moshe says, 
Sometimes you have a goblet that is filled with the most special of wines, the most delicious, the most fragrant, the tastiest of wines, the wine that has the honey in it. It's called kunditun, but it's contained in a cup. There's a keli, there's a container. This means that it's tainug hamurkav. Tainug hapashet never has kelim. Tainug hamurkav has kelim. So Moshe says, it's a cup. It's a koishal kunditum. It's the most delicious wine. It's the greatest tainug. But it's a kois. It's a kois of kunditum. The elakus that you're experiencing is elakus that comes into kelim. Ooh, that's not Adelayada. That's not Adelayada. Adelayada doesn't go into a keli. What's a keli? A keli is a container. Anything that I put into a container, anything that can be contained in a container, by definition, is already finite. There's already a limitation there. That's the concept of kois. Everybody looks at the marshal, Moshe Rabbeinu, saying vinegar versus wine. The Rebbe says, you're forgetting the main point. This is a cup of vinegar versus a cup of wine. But it's a cup. Because we're dealing with cups, you know what a cup is, right? A cup is a cup and a cup is a cup. (laughs) Because we're dealing with cups, because your kedusha is accessed through a kais, therefore there's room for Amalek in your life. The only way there's no room for Amalek in your life is when you go beyond your kalim. Kalim, we all have kalim. What are kalim? Kalim are my containers. It's my box. It's the way I process life. Everybody has their kalim. Kalim are not a bad thing. Kalim are a very good thing. <laughs> if I wouldn't have a kalim, I couldn't drink the coffee, right? You can't drink water from the Niagara Falls. You need a kalim. We all have kalim. Kalim are, a kalim literally is a vessel, a utensil. Spiritually, a kalim is a container. The world functions through kalim. Schedules, structures, everything has a structure. If you don't, if your business only has a vision without structures, what happens to the business? If an organization has light without vessels, we spoke often about toyu, the difference of toyu and tikkun. You remember that in toyu it's light without vessels, and in tikkun it's light in vessels. We like vessels, we like containers. It accesses it, it limits it, but it always limits. A keli is a limit. So when it comes to tainog, there's tainog in a keli. Let me talk about a relationship for a moment. I could connect to you, but I'm connecting with my keli, and you're connecting with your keli. I bring in my container, you bring in your container. So now our cups collide with each other, and we don't have the etzem etzem because I don't go out of my keli. It's, it's scary to go out of your keli. Going out of your kela means saying goodbye to the self that you became comfortable with. Who wants to do that? It's very hard for people to go out of their kelim. Kelim is the identity that I developed for myself. This is who I am. This is who I am not. And I know myself. That's not Adelayada. Adelayada means I don't know myself. Adelayada means I don't know. I'm open. I don't have to be in a kelim. I can break the kelim. That's why under a chuppah, what's the last thing? Open your hearts, everybody. Why do we break a keli under the chuppah? Anybody knows? And the answer is to remember Yerushalayim, which, which is why we break it. That's why we break it. But now let's go one step deeper. You know why we break a gaily under the chuppah? The answer is... Huh? No, Zog? Because the chassan is saying, I'm not going to be a kli, I'm only going to be a no saying. (laughs) Right? The chassan says, I don't just want to receive, receive, receive. I want to give. I want to be mashpia. And now let's go one step deeper. Because the secret of a good marriage is that we have the courage to break our kalim and go out of our kalim. The secret of a good marriage is I don't have to stay stuck in my comfort zone, in my kalim, in my container. Because a real relationship is the ability 
to go out of my keli. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Shabbos, Moedidik, but it's a kois shal kunditun. It's tainu that comes into kelim. It's tainu gamurkov. Ooh, it's a tainu that comes into kelim. Then it's a different tainu. This is what Moshe is explaining. The kivan shagama tainu the shabbos rubchinis kois. Since the pleasure, the ecstasy of shabbos can be defined by a kois by a container. This is a compartmentalized form of ecstasy, which still can be contained in a kli, in a vessel. It's ecstasy, but it is contained. I am still defined by a kli. It's certainly no kais of vinegar, no question. It's good, it's nice, it's beautiful. In Yoni Amalek, it's the furthest extreme from Amalek. Mikol Makaim, wow, it's not the furthest extreme. Zek Kois, Vizek Kois. Amalek is a Kois, and Shabbos is a Kois. The Jew said, Moshe, no, we're in Shabbos, there's no Amalek. Moshe said, listen to me, Kindalach. Even in Shabbos, even on Shabbos, there are triggers. Anybody here gets triggered on Shabbos? <laughs> even on Shabbos, there are triggers. It says in the Gemara in Yerushalmi, I'm Jews don't lie on Shabbos. Even a Jew who's usually suspected, I'm It's been a gay of the halachas of Maiser. Still, I can get triggered on Shabbos. Zekais vezekais. I'm still contained in a cup. And because I'm contained in a cup, a Malik could get to me. <laughs> you have to know this. It says in Zayah that Friday afternoon, the Sultan likes to make a machlaikas in the house. You know that? Do you know that many homes by Lichtsendin, there's a lot of fighting. The husband gets upset at the wife. The wife gets upset at the husband because the Sultan doesn't want that Shabbos should be welcomed with serenity. It just says that people get into fights Shabbat Friday afternoon, especially Lichtsendin. That's why it says in Chumash, Loi Savaru Shabbos. Don't light the fire of machleikas on Shabbos. Don't be careful because people could get very angry. People get angry at the Shabbos table because it's such a time of pleasure and serenity. The Sutton doesn't like that. So he likes to make a fight at the Shabbos table. You get upset at this one, you get upset at this one, and the Shabbos table falls apart. So we always have to be aware of our triggers. We have to be aware that even when I'm in a place of tainuk, in a single moment, a mole could come and snuff the soul out of it and take my wine and turn it into vinegar. And you know what vinegar is? Vinegar is wine that goes sour. Vinegar is not something else. Vinegar comes from the wine itself. Vinegar takes the wine and turns it into something sour. Even an experience of Kedusha and Elokus that is based on a keli, that is based on Tainuga Murkov, is vulnerable. So Moshe says, therefore, even in the state of Shabbos, when you're remembering Shabbos, and you're sanctifying Shabbos, and you're introducing into Shabbos the pleasure of food and drinks, Zachar Lo'oinig, you're remembering Shabbos for pleasure, but you have to bring in the pleasure. It's a pleasure that comes from something outside of you, it comes from an external stimuli. There's stimuli that stimulates you. It's called Tainag Hamurkov. There's still room to say, remember what Amalek did to you. Don't let go. <laughs> Don't take your finger off Amalek. Remember that Amalek always has to be put into context. Amalek has to be dealt with. Amalek has to be able to be eliminated. Amalek has to be penalized because that Amalek could creep in and abduct my psyche and my soul and turn my wine into vinegar. Why? Because ultimately Zekois Vizekois. Tainug Hamurkov creates room for Klippa. It doesn't mean it's not Gewaldic. It's Gewaldic, but it's any experience of a lakus that is accessed through kalim is not adalayada. If it's not adalayada, be careful with Haman. You can't just say, blessed is Haman. Because that naivete can cost you. Rebbe Zriel de Hezvas You see, in Chassidus Chabad, 
there's no spiritual hallucinations. Sometimes we like to go to high levels and close our eyes and, <laughs> and everything becomes rosy and dandy. But one day you're going to open your eyes. One day I sober up. That's why it's so important to be integrated. Everything is about MS, about pneumius, about integration. So what happens is we have to understand the MS of this. The word kois is chaf vav samach. Do you know the gematria of kois? Kois is 86. Chaf vav samach is 86. That's the gematria of elikim. Aleph lamed hey yud mem. In other words, there's tzimtzum. The name of elikim is the name of tzimtzum. It's the name of restrictiveness. Elikim is midas hadin. It's the attribute of of uh, of containment. Elikim is like this sheath on the sun that eclipses infinity and puts it into a vessel. Elikim, Aleph Lamed Hey Yud Mem is 86. It's also the gematria of the word Hateva, which means nature. What is nature? The word Teva comes from the word Mutba, Matbeya, Matbeya, a minted coin. Because a minted coin has an imprint, whatever the image is, and that becomes the minted coin. It's imprinted on the dollar, on the coin, it's called in halacha matbeya shetavu chachamim. The sages created a nusach, a text. It's a matbeya. What's teva? Teva is about predictable laws of nature. It's all about a cup, a container. Why can we study nature? Because there are laws of nature. Because it's predictable. It's fixed. What does this mean psychologically? I follow my laws of nature. These are my laws. This is who I am. This is what I am not. I'm fixed in this place. I'm afraid. I'm shy. I'm insecure. I'm traumatized. This is who I am. I become a cup, a kais. That's elikim, hateva. So even when I'm experiencing pleasure, it's through elikim. And therefore, there's room for Amalek because there is a blockage, there is a concealment, there is a limitation. And whenever there is ecstasy, that's Tainug HaMurk of Natainug HaPashat, Moshe Rabbeinu says, be weary of Amalek who waits at the door and tries to attack you at your moment of vulnerability. And be weary to the blockages that are still going to be triggered in you even though you're experiencing ecstasy. But it's ecstasy that is ultimately Murkov. It's defined by a Kais. Zekais that's why Hashem tells Moshe that the war against Amalek is this is what we read on Purim the end of Parshas B'Shalach what does Midurdur mean? it's intergenerational oh here we come to epigenetics it's intergenerational the challenge of Amalek goes me dur dur, shakailal gam dara de Mashiach. The Targum says dur dur means even in the generation of Mashiach, I still have to remember Amalek. Why? Because the generation of Mashiach itself includes more than one generation. Mashiach is not just a moment, Mashiach is also a process because there's levels within Mashiach itself. There's no question about it. Geula consciousness develops over generations. Yes, there is that one moment you say Hashem brings Mashiach. The moment that the Geula is manifested in the world, that's a moment. But that transformation in the world expands, it extends. There's different stages. There's something called Mashiach. There's something called Chiyas HaMesim. Kedisa the Gemara speaks about Shloishadoris. Three generations, as he says in footnote 40, Sanhedrin of Tzadik Tess. Shenema yiru uchem, shemesh velefnei areach, dur durim. We will appear to you with the sun and in front of the moon, dur, a generation, durim, generations. Mashiach itself includes three generations. Hinigam bedur de Mashiach gufa kolzman shloi nishlam giliyam Mashiach b'miluyoy harei avoidi adayim bedarga kazusha yeshlei zachizah bekli kais daika bezayif and sheyia v'lochen yeshadayim mokim b'tzorich b'avoidi de zacharis ashrasalacham molek zochel oinish. So even in the state of Mashiach, as long as the revelation of Mashiach is not fully, fully, fully complete, so my avoid is still in a state of consciousness. 
that it's contained and it's defined by my own vessels, by my own containers, in some form or fashion, even though it's Mashiach, so there's so much enlightenment. Therefore, Moshe says, you still have to remember Amalek. You still have to penalize Amalek. You still have to be aware of Amalek. And don't get depressed that you're being triggered. Don't get depressed by the fact that you're not in a state where no shells and husks occupy a space. Don't get triggered by the fact that you're triggered. You hear? Don't get triggered by the fact that you're triggered. The greatest problem about triggers is not that I'm triggered, that I get triggered by the fact that I'm triggered. I go crazy. Me? I'm not triggered. No, no, no. (laughs) That's a problem. Because now I become dishonest. Now I start criticizing myself, delegitimizing my experiences. You have to realize where you are in this world. Yes, there is still brokenness. Why is there brokenness? It's Shabbos. There's Mashiach. There's Geula consciousness. You're right, the Rebbe says, but it's still in a case. I'm still in my keli. And whenever I'm in a keli, I'm not in a case of Adulayada yet. I didn't break the glass. The real relationship happens when you break the glass. It says in, in Halacha, there's two stages in the Chuppah, Erisin and Nisuyin. Erisin is marriage, Nisuyin is intimacy. They can go home together. It says Golos is Erisin. Asid love is going to be the Nisuyin. In order to get from Erisin to Nisuyin, you have to break the glass. There's a marriage, but it's still Kalim. That's the first part of the chuppah. At the end of the chuppah, now you really want to become one? Now we got to break the glass. Now you, now you got to go out of Kalim. This is the Indian of Adelayad. This is the Indian of Adelayad. I remember I was once, uh, I was uh, around by mitzvah age, a little older, a year later. It was Simchas Torah, Tovshin Mem Vav, 1985. It was the night of Simchas Torah. The Lubavitcher Rebbe had a custom that the night of Simchas Torah, before Hakafas, he would hold a long fabreng, and it would start around 9 o'clock, and it would go till after midnight, and then Hakafas would start around 1 o'clock in the morning. So it was quite intense. So I remember that Simchas Torah, they were singing a sniggin, Al Hasela Hachach Vayetzumayim. So as they were singing the nigin, the Rebbe took his cup of wine and he finished it. He said l'chaim and he finished the cup. And then, in a very surprising gesture, he turned over the kais. He turned over the kais upside down. And then he asked that everybody... Any cup that there is and any bottle that there is, they should finish it. And when they finish it, they should then turn it, turn it upside down. So they emptied out all, all the bottles and all the kaisas and everybody turned over their l'chaim cup or any bottle they had, but they had to first finish it or distribute it between the crowd. And the Rebbe himself was holding his becher and with his hand, he was, he was, uh, uh, waving his holy arm as they were singing, and there was such a state of ecstasy, it was like Tainuk HaPashat, with this cup turned over empty. And then in the next talk, the Rebbe explained what he was trying to do. And he says that the Rambam made a picture of the Menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. We have it in the handwriting of the Rambam. It's printed. The Rambam actually made a, a depiction, a graphic of the menorah. And the menorah on every one of the seven branches, there were goblets, there were gvim, and the Ramba made them upside down. They're not, they're not upwards, they're downwards. They explain why. Nobody knows why did the Rambam do it. So the Rebbe said, because there's two types of people. There's people who come to life and they come to the world and their cup is up. <laughs> they want to take. The Rambam says that the point of the Menorah in the Beis was to give. The kais was to be mashpia. When, when I mashpia, the kais, I turn over the cup because I want to pour it into your cup. So he says, on some chastayda, every one of us can realize that we don't have to be only a container that receives. We can be a container that's ready to empty itself out and give because you're comfortable in transcending your container. You can go outside of your keli. And only in that way can you really give. Because that type of giving is not coming from a place of insecurity or a place of inner deficiency or a place of self-doubt because I don't deserve to fill myself up and therefore I'm going to fill you up. Because that type of behavior can often be dysfunctional. You know, I become a martyr on my own cheshben, on my kid's cheshben, on my husband's cheshben, on my wife's cheshben. I'm a martyr. You know though that, you know that style? That's not the idea. The idea is I fill my cup and then I say, and now it's time to go beyond the kli, to break the kli. And then there's Adulayada. Adulayada, then... 
Amalek, Amalek is depleted. There's no Eitz Hadas anymore. There's no Eitz Hadas anymore. There's no Haman. There's no Haman in my life. But till that point, Moshe Rabbeinu says, of course you're going to be triggered. You have to remember there's Amalek. And you have to remember that when Amalek comes in, he's not there to be embraced. He's there to be neutralized. He's there to be quarantined. He's there to be able to say, Amalek, you're here, but you're not going to control my life because you have no space in the world. You have no space that I'm going to give you in my life to be able to take over. This is Moshe Rabbeinu's answer to the Jewish people. You have to, you have to, you have to look into yourself. You have to see. I'm going to give an example again with your own family. If your child says something to you, right? And you could be a complete empathetic witness. You become a conduit for light and you say, wow. I feel what you're going through and my job is to be a conduit of love and compassion. You know right away that you're a conduit. But if I'm experiencing a very deep trigger and I'm getting angry and I'm getting judgmental, I have to just be aware of it. That's it. Just awareness of it, awareness of my blockages makes all the difference because then I will not distort love with blockages, number one. I won't fool myself Number two, I won't contaminate the communication of love with my blockages in the name of love. And number three, number three, I know what I have to work on. And number four, I can actually make choices. I can make choices. I could say, wow, this is what's going on inside of me. And now I'm going to choose to go to a much deeper space inside of me and be able to become an empathetic witness to this person. You get it? And that makes all the difference. Okay, Chevra, have a beautiful, beautiful day. Thursday night, next Thursday night, we're going to have a big, big Fabrengen. It's going to be 18 Forche in the Shul Archaim, 18 Forche Road, 9.30 p.m. after your meals. Everybody is invited. A section for men, a section for women, children, everybody is invited. There's going to be hot food and music. And we're going to continue the Adela Yada of Purim Be'ezin Hashem. Everybody have a beautiful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.